Welcome to episode number 70. Joining me from the ATL. <laughs> ATL is Mark Stucker. He is the owner of School Match for You, and he has his own podcast called Your College Bound Kid. And his motto, I love this motto, Stucker, ignite your child's future. Thank you. It's how, true. It's, how did you come up with that? It, you know, just an epiphany that just popped into my head one day. I mean, both my parents are educators, fourth generation educator kid. My sister's an educator. I believe in the power of education to be transformative. So it sort of fits with that, with my core beliefs. Well, that's awesome to hear. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Obviously, you are a counselor. People that listen to my podcast, we're helping high school students and parents with the college search and admission process. And occasionally, I like to break it up and bring in uh, guests that are not college students getting the experience. Uh, we'd like to talk to you because you, you do have a lot of clients nationwide, but specifically, I, I mean, 12, 13 states, but you have them in California. California is one of your hot markets, correct? Yeah, and I actually work with 26 states. I think I need to update the website. <laughs> I think you might have yeah, pulled please. that 12 off. <laughs> I did. Website. I need some website upgrades. Yeah, I, I think California is my number one market. I, I was just uh, reflecting on that. I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but I, that's what I would get. You know, I have about a dozen clients in California, You know, mo the three major markets four in San Diego, four in greater LA, and three or four in San Francisco. Got it. How do you get these clients? I mean, you're all the way out in the mm -hmm. ATL. How do you get these clients right. from Southern California and your interaction and engagement? Because I want to tee this up. I have two daughters that are in college. We used an outside external counselor. But after talking to you, and I think I've told mentioned this to you, I told my wife, I go, I like this Mark guy. I go, I think Joshua would bond with them really well because it's all about bonding and having that yeah. right fit. How do you engage and get those clients from California and then interact with them? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, this is all word of mouth, really. I mean, I've had my company since 2010 now, so it's 11 years. So I've worked with just so many families and people know people everywhere. So you know, it's really word of mouth is really what drives it. Now, I will say this. I've had the podcast going now for four years and our podcast has more content than any college admission podcast out there. I mean, our episodes are 90 minutes to two hours every single week. And people are like, how in the world would somebody listen that long? Well, we have either four or five sections with different people coming in. So it breaks it up, you know, and we tell people treat it like a mini audio book. Right. Stop and start. And and our survey, we did a survey on it, and 87% of people said they love our length. So there are people that will say, you know, I've listened to you for a couple hundred hours. I feel like I know you, and they will hire me directly off that. My One of my favorite stories is a family about two years ago in Wisconsin. You know, the mom sets up a meeting with me, mm -hmm. and then uh, three minutes into the call, she's like, I want somebody with your values pouring yourself into my daughter. And I was like, what values? Like, I'm thinking we've been on the phone for three minutes. Right. And she's like, <laughs> no, she's like, you know, I've heard you over 100 hours. I know what you believe. I know your viewpoints. You're a good philosophical match for our family. And that's when I sort of realized sort of the, the, there's a lot of power in this podcasting thing. So, you know, prior to having the podcast, literally 98, 99% of everything was, was referral. I mean, the only exceptions to that really were siblings, which I guess you still could kind of call referral. But, you know, that was... 
internal or um, I have people that will hire me one time because I also sent over 100 kids to boarding school. And so they'll hire me for boarding school placement and then they'll hire me again for college. So repeats and referrals. Otherwise, it was literally all all client referral. But since the podcast, like 30% of people that hire me just hire me just flat out, never even – I wouldn't know you in an elevator, but they've – usually been listening and have heard over a hundred hours and just get a comfort level. Well, Mark, Mark, it's all about referrals. I, I think we should tee up and let the audience and my followers know how we met. But the, ironically, we have a mutual employer. We do. <laughs> <laughs> and people that know my podcast, obviously your podcast, and we're going to, we'll get into it has a lot of content. But this is like my side hustle, right? I mean, I'm right. in sales and leadership and I started my career at paychecks. I mean, eventually everyone that goes to college, you're going to major in something. And, and typically what you do is not what you major in 80% right. of the time. And yeah. you're, you're, you're going to have to get a job or career. So my career obviously is in sales and leadership. And I worked at paychecks and ironically, Mark Stucker worked at paychecks as well. Yeah. Yeah. I never asked you, did, did, did they send you off to Rochester for training? Mark, not only did I go to Rochester for training my first time in December of 1994. And the class, I actually stopped class when it was snowing outside because I've seen snow, but I've only seen snow in the mountains when I went skiing. I've never, oh, yeah, you're a California yeah, guy. <laughs> I've never seen snow like in like a work environment or dressed right. up and the teacher or the, the instructor is like, oh my gosh, we have some California people. They've never like seen snow working. No, I haven't. I've always been on vacation. Um, but after that, I always call it Snotchester, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I've been to Snotchester probably 10 to 12 times because I was uh, called upon as a, a sales trainer uh, occasionally right. for certain classes. So that's my experience you. with Rochester. <laughs> well, I was there from 97 to 01. So we almost, we almost overlapped. Yes. Yes. So I'm a parent out here in Newport beach and I, I also could be a student out here in Southern California. It doesn't need to be Newport. Most of my followers and listeners come from either Newport Harbor high school, CDM high school or modern day high school. I'm expanding and growing it, but what am I going to go through? What type of process if we call yeah. it Mark Stucker school right. match for you? walk my audience through as if we're they're looking for a college counselor yeah so I, I appreciate that question and so there's two things i like to do initially this is after we've had conversations and, pe and people have got a feel and a comfort level and they're interested in moving forward do you want me to start at that point where they like what what yes. do i do right away okay yeah so i, I like or wait to do a lot of pause there because sure. some I, I just had guests on on my last episode one of the guests, their, their mom was a college counselor. And then the okay. other guest, he's like, we didn't even use an external counselor. So mm -hmm. maybe even before they get to Mark Stucker and school match for you, there could be that little hesitancy. There could be the concern. Right. So maybe start from there and then how to get to you and what you do. Well, I think they're somewhat related because when you articulate the value and what you do, that's when people come around to see oh i wouldn't i wouldn't be getting all that on my own right so so if i think i think i'll answer your question by going through the process if that does that make sense yes yes yeah so i like to do a lot of initial work around uh career 
alignment and possible college major alignment. And by that, I mean, most people agree that what they want for their child is they want them to find something that they love and they're good at. And because so many people, just adults even, relate to, gee, you know, I'm stuck in a job. This isn't a passion. It feels laborious. And I have to switch at 28 or 26 or 35 or even in 40s. You know, and so they don't want that for the child. They want them to find that thing that will be so exciting, so exhilarating. Like this is for me. I mean, I do this seven days a week and, <laughs> and I don't stop till past 11 because it's, you know, the whole axiom is true. You know, if you do what you love. You never work a day in your life. It's true. So so I do a lot of work around that. I have students take five different tests. One's an hour and a half. Four others are 15 minutes. And I do, you know, some analysis of that. And then I take those tests and um but that'll identify two or three different um, uh, college majors slash careers. And then I, I don't want to get too in-depth in this part, but I do another two to three more steps on that that really help people to identify this career slash college major is really who I am, or at least it's something I'm very excited about, and we vetted it. So that's kind of the first thing, and that's exciting for people because you know I have a lot of adults say, I need to go through this for me. So that's yeah. the first thing I do. Uh, then it's really important. The next thing I get into is list building. And the reason why that's so important is because the strategy, the admission strategy is going to come out of the list. What do I mean by that? There's a lot of colleges that love resumes. There's some that hate them. There's colleges that love interviews. There's others that hate them. There's colleges that love recommendations. There's others that don't want any. There's colleges that love college-specific questions and give you six or four of them. There's others that don't have any requirements. I could go on and on and on about every different facet. So once you know the schools, then the strategy is going to flow to the school. So I want to really, I put a lot of time into that because there's 2,400 four-year accredited schools out there. The average person maybe can name 150, 150 colleges, maybe. And a lot of that list is probably if there's sports watchers coming off of ESPN or coming off of, uh, you know, games. By the way, I just have to shout out <laughs> yes. Um, I just I just have to give a shout out. You said a lot of your audiences are where? Coming from where? Are you talking about specific high schools? Yeah, yeah. Modern Day, Corona Del Mar, and then Newport Harbor. Yeah, so Newport. So I didn't mention Newport. I I do have one family in Newport. I think before I mentioned mostly San Diego, LA, and, and, and uh, the well, Bay Area. Well, hopefully we get you more after this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. So, so now, now we're into, so I've, I mentioned how important the list is. So how do, how do I get the list? That's really important. What I do is I make some, I make people put a little work and I'm going to be honest. I have developed over my 22 years doing this, uh, a questionnaire that's very detailed and I tweak it every year with a question or two, but it, mm -hmm. what it does is it reveals to me exactly what that family, student and parent are looking for. And I tell you, I got a, I should read this to you. Literally, I got an email from a family I just started working with in San Francisco. And they're going through my questionnaire right now. And they said, you need to be charging money for this, this thing. This thing's incredible. It's forcing our family to talk through issues about things that are so important that we never even thought of. And so that's what I do. This questionnaire is, in, when I say it's in-depth, a student's going to answer over 100 questions. And a parent is going to answer over 40. And the most of these, some of them are quick answers, but a lot of them are, multiple sentences so it's detailed but the reason why it's so important is i can know the colleges but i'm trying to find the right colleges for each student i need to know you 
And so I need that information that each student, each parent has about themselves and what they're looking for. So I have people fill the questionnaire out. Some people can do it in an hour and a half. My really conscientious students will take three or four hours and they'll take a week, week to two weeks. And I'm good with that. I say the more details, the better. Mark, give me so an I example. Have, give me an example of one or two questions. Okay, I'll give I you an example. Hear one. Of, yeah. I'll give an example of one. Uh, how would you feel about a college that grad schools will respect and employers will respect, but the average person on the street has never heard of it? How would you feel about ah. going to a school like that? And I'll get completely different reactions like we're not interested in that or i'm perfectly fine with that if grad schools and employers like it i don't care if you know that's what you Joe want that's the it. answer you want <laughs> but i'm well, sure you don't get well, that well you know I, I to be honest i have to prestige is so extremely important to most people but they don't like to come in and tell you that right so I ask five or six indirect questions that get at prestige because that's just over experience, right? I've had so many times where people say, ah, prestige is not that important. You build a whole list for people and has all the other things they want, everything else, and then it doesn't have enough prestige and then they push back. So you just learn these things over time, you know? So, you know, that's, that's just an, I mean, that's an example of a, of, of a kind of question um, that really makes people think. You know, there's lots of other questions like if there's if money's involved, you ask people, do you expect the student to work? If so, how much? Do you expect a student to take out a loan? If so, how much? Um, these are things that get students and parents talking. As a parent, what's the maximum that you'll contribute? And it leads to these parent and student questions. They're like, oh, I thought you were going to cover the whole thing. Oh, no, I thought you were going to take out the student loan. I'm expecting you to work. So it gets families talking about these kinds of things. Um, so so it's. So, so I do that, and then I also gather lots of other important information, such as, obviously, I need a transcript, because that's the most important part of the college evaluation. Every single admission officer will tell you the transcript, the single biggest part, and most important component of the evaluation. So I need a transcript. I need track record of testing, even that we know a lot of schools are going test optional, but still, some aren't. And then I, I've customized and created my own one-page student recommend or teacher recommendation. Mm -hmm. I've done it in a way that it's really easy for a teacher to do it, but it gives me really important information. So I'll have a student give that to their teacher because I do ask them questions like, one of my in my questionnaire I say, how would your English teacher describe you? How would your science teacher describe you? How would your math teacher describe you? But I still want to hear from the actual teacher. Right. So I get a teacher recommendation. I get what's called a school profile which is something that's included in every transcript when schools send it off to, you know, to colleges. And it's, it's important. It allows us a college to put a school in context. Those are some of the examples of the kinds of things that I gather. So now I have all the records and I, and I also have what the family wants. And then I, I put together a list and the list is intentionally long starting out 20 to 25 schools. Usually even that I don't recommend people apply to that many. And then I show, I show people literally 80 to 85 different places how to research these schools and how to get beyond the marketing spin and get to the culture of them. And I ask them to take a little time and come back to me and put all the schools in three buckets, what I call love it, like it, not feeling it. So and the love it, it, the love it is I'm very slash definitely interested. Mm -hmm. We go to the other extreme. They're not feeling it is I just cannot see myself there. They come off the list immediately. 
And then the uh, like it, we're going to do a little more delving on that. But depending on the age of the student, if it's a rising senior, then we'll, we'll start going to work right away on the applications for the Lovitz. If it's a rising junior, we have time. Maybe we'll start creating a visit plan or communication plan with the schools. But that that's that, those are the first couple steps is doing some work along college major and career and then really getting that list down. And the iterative process of me providing a list, but the student, and the parent having buy in and me wanting them to make cuts. That's extremely important because I'm not going to the college. I'm not living there. They are. So I need that buy in. Right. So that those are the first two steps. And then we can get into admission strategy. But that's going to be completely customized for each school. That's going to vary tremendously from one school to the next. That's why getting the list down is so important before we get into admission strategy. I love the building the list. I like how you talked about love it. Uh, not so much into it, like it, because I, I, I might have to steal that from you uh, because yeah, I, I, I get right into and, and this is going to lead to my next question. I have a magic sure. number of uh, when someone goes, well, how many colleges do you think I should apply to? Now, I've gone through the process with two children, and I've seen it with other guests, either having their list too big or too small. What is your magic number, or not maybe definite magic number, but what's your yeah. what's your sweet spot? And then do you break that sweet spot up into what I consider most of my followers and listeners know, either stretch schools, moderate schools, or safety schools? How do you break that up? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Let me, let me answer the second part first and get into the first question. So- so once I've done one, one thing I never shared is once I've done all the research from studying the questionnaire and studying all the records, I produce a four to five page report for families. And that four to five page report presents the schools three ways. It presents them alphabetically by state and by selectivity. And so they'll have them in tiers and, you know, everybody's got their own terminology. You know, I actually have a five tiered uh, terminology I use. So there's schools. I think this will be interesting for you guys. I'll share it with you. Okay. So there's one, the most, there's one bucket that extremely hard to get into. In fact, it's so hard that I don't recommend it for that particular student. Right. And so I call those unlikelies or long shots. And sometimes if I really need to jar student, someone out of their reality, because I tend to be a straight shooter, let's say, I'll just give an example. Let's say I have a, you know, a B student that wants to go to Stanford. Yes. Right. Then I, then I call them lottery schools. It's like this is like <laughs> winning the lottery. Okay? Got it. So so I so my my view on that is, I do not recommend you apply to any of these. If you're my kid, I would say don't apply to these because the chances of getting in are so slim from my experience. However, what I've learned to say is, I don't want you going through the rest of your life wondering what if. So if you feel the need to scratch that itch and apply to one of these, go for then it. go for it. But I really don't want you applying to more than one. So that's how I handle that group. Then we get into what you called a lot of different terminology, right? Reach, reach schools, stretch schools, challenge schools. I use all three of those. Those are schools you should have on your list. These are schools that, you know, you have probably a 15 to a 40% chance of getting in from my experience. And there are some schools that are so competitive that they go in that bucket for everybody, no matter how strong the applicant is, because they're just, they're wild cards. Some of them are wild cards when you get down to these schools with single digit acceptance rates. So, so that's the top, but I do recommend that people apply to two to five in that bucket. And then the next group is what I call possibles, 40 to 70% chance of admission in those based on my experience and my resources and my ability to assess. 
I recommend two to five in that bucket, and then and then and then possibles, and then the last bucket is probables, and that's really you know two to four in there, and then the last would be a safety school. But the diff, the, the I, I have a very distinct definition of a safety school because you never want to call a school a safety school and somebody doesn't get in. It's the most traumatic experience. I've actually never had it happen to me, but I've had people come to me in tears like, <laughs> I was told this was my safety school and I never got in. So to me, a safety school, it's only a school that admits by the numbers. So a lot of schools strictly admit off of test score GPA. They use freshman indexes and other things like that. And if you've got the numbers, you're in. So that's a safety school. So those are kind of my five tiers. And so if you break it all down, um, it really what I recommend is students apply to between six and 13 schools. Now, I've learned over time uh, in a balanced way, two to four, yep. two to four, maybe five in one bucket. You know, um, I've learned and we probably have a little different opinion on this, that there's no such thing in a perfect number. And their situations are different. And you can't like I can't straitjacket and say everybody needs to apply to eight to ten. It just it, life doesn't just perfectly fit together that way. And I'll be honest, there's times that people need less than that. And, and here, here's a scenario. Let's say I've got a student, um, you know, thinking of a student right now I worked with, and they know that they want to go to this school. Their parents went there, and it's very, very clear to me that they're getting in based on their profile and based on how the school makes past decisions. You know what? That's, that family doesn't need six. But if it's most students, they want to have some, you know, they want to have some challenge, some very competitive stretch reach type schools on their list. And then that scenario, then it's in that six, six to 13 and 13 is pushing it. But the reason why I have to have some variety is let's say someone wants to do theater arts, you know, or BSMD programs. These programs are so super competitive that you need to be on the higher end. I, I also say if a family needs scholarship money to go, it's better to be a little bit on the higher end than the lower end so you have multiple chances. So I don't know. I, I think I answered both your questions there, didn't I? You, you did, and you you nailed it because I, I think I've been always recommending around that 10 to 12 uh, yeah. you know, universities, and you're right. They're, they're different in each bucket, but then you also have the ones that you just gave specific examples to, right? So uh, yeah. I think we're right in line there. And I, I, I'm going to ask this question because – a lot of, we just got through with the May 1st decision, right? Everyone had to make a choice. Yeah. And through March and April, especially April, especially out here when, when there's hovering tiger parents and yeah. you think the kids are, are, the kids are going to school, but the, it was as if the parents are living their kids vicariously through, through their lives vicariously through their kids. You, yeah. you heard everything going on, who got accepted, who got rejected and you know, for some of these schools that have that single digit acceptance rate, maybe more mm -hmm. 10 to 15%, can you kind of, you were a college counselor, you read through essays, you read through the process, right. people don't understand and get, so I want you to set them straight. First, I always talk about colleges look at unweighted GPAs and essays. It doesn't matter because when you're applying to those single digit acceptance rates, the what I call sweatshirt brand schools. Everybody has a 4.4 to 4.6. Everybody has a 33, 34. So what separates and what's going to make that decision? Can you kind of walk my sure. audience through that? Yeah. Because I tell them 
they'll start rattling off their weighted GPAs. And I'm like, why are you giving me this? Because they really don't give a shit about that. Yeah. Now what I'm going to say here, some of it doesn't apply to the UCs. You know, I, I know from working in California, I'm aware of all the brouhaha going on this year with the UCs, how brutal they were. And obviously, particularly the six, they get a hundred thousand apps, right? UCB, right. UCLA, UCSB, UCSD, UCI, Irvine, UCD Davis, those six, you know, not as much, um, not as much people aren't clamoring as much to go to Riverside, you know, Merced or, or, or to Santa Cruz, but those six. So what I'm going to say is not, is a broader, it's more of a national answer because the UCs do things a little differently. And so um, the first thing that I'll say to answer your question is one of the mistakes that people make is they think that if they have the academic profile that lines up with what the school says their average class profile is. So, so they go on, I'll take a really high end school and, and it says the 25th to 75th percentile is like a 33 to 35 ACT. And it's like a 1420 to 1570 SE. This is a really high profile score, right? And so people think, and then and they'll see the GPA and maybe the number of APs or whatever. And they'll think, oh my goodness, I have that. I, I'm in, you know, or mm -hmm. my chances are really good here. I've got a 1530 SAT. I've got a 35 ACT. You know, I've got maybe straight A's except for maybe, you know, one A minus here. And I took like eight or nine APs and I got mostly fours and fives. And so they think that they're likely to get in because when they look at the class profile, they line up with that. But here's what they don't know. Uh, one of the things I like to do, and I interact with admission deans all the time at the most elective schools in the country. I interview them on my podcast. I do Zoom sessions with them. I mean, just, just, just literally today I was on with UPenn and MIT. So that's what I do. And um, one of the questions I like to ask them is, what percent of your applicants are totally academically qualified? And what I'll typically hear is 85 to 93, somewhere hmm. in that range. Hmm. You know, and, you know, I've become pretty good friends with Rick Clark, who's right here in Georgia. He's director of mission, Georgia Tech. One thing Rick frequently says to me is, you know, Mark, we hardly ever talk about test scores in committee because everybody's test scores are high. Just doesn't differentiate people. You know, every now and then we get an outlier, but that's so rare. So it just doesn't even come up. So people think that schools are going to make a decision because your 1540 is higher than a 1490 or 1510. It's just not the way that it works. So you what know? separates, what are they looking for? What are they, uh, I'm yeah. going to say essay, I'm tell but you what they're looking for. tell, 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 tell us. So there's nine big buckets, 10, I'll say 10 big buckets. Okay. Um, and I will say this, the, the three, the two most important do, they really are rigor and grades. And every study shows that rigor and grades. I mean, there's a, you can look this up, the NACAC study, NACAC, the National Association of College Admission Counselors. They do an admission study every year. They send surveys out. And they ask about 18 variables, and admission officers have to say this is most important, very important, somewhat important. And every single year, grades and rigor number one and two. So I will, I'll come around and say that. Okay. Um, and for schools that require test scores, they they are three now that we're going more in that test optional or test blind. Scores are fading, but for schools that require it, test scores are up there. But 
here are some of the other things that are all extremely important. Okay, your essays, those are extremely important. Now, this is not true for the UCs, but for other, like we're talking about other private schools like Rice and Brown and Northeast, Northwestern, Northeastern, Princeton, and you know all these schools, Harvard, UVA, all these, uh, most of your schools outside of the UCs, recommendations. And I'm talking teacher recommendations, counselor recommendations, and outside recommendations, all of them. Okay, extracurriculars. Okay, what you're involved in, summer, school year, and extracurriculars are not just defined as formal things, but they're defined as how you spend your time when you're not in school, all of that. So those are three really big ones. I'll tell you some others that are really, really big. Personal qualities. So this is these are all of the character attributes that they discern from your recommendations, from your, uh, from, from your um, essays that they glean about you. And then for schools that have an interview, then an interview is going to be really, really big. And then the other really big ones that fit in this category, besides for some ability to pay, by the way, that is a big one nobody wants to talk about. But there are a lot of schools that are looking at, can this person pay tuition? But let me get off of that. Huge one is what's called institutional priorities. And that's really what oftentimes determines who gets in. So people will be shocked. Kids will be shocked like, Let's say it's a school that has ranking and they'll be like, they'll be like, this is messed up. Like the kid that was fifth in the class didn't get in. And the kid that was 25th got in. Right. Like the kid that was 20, 25th had like lower test scores, lower grades. Like they don't get it. But schools have institutional priorities. So case in point, I'll just give you an example. So there's several Jesuit schools in California. Loyola Marymount is a Jesuit school, right? Santa yes. Clara is a Jesuit school. So usually when you see religious schools, there's some kind of preference if you're coming from that background. Um, another example of an institutional priority. Uh, most most like computer science program, engineer, engineering, math ma um, related majors are tend to be dominated by men. I mean, only 18% of computer science grads right now are women. So a lot of schools have a priority to try to get more gender equity in majors that are dominated by one gender mm -hmm. so those are genders that have women but then for men you want to be an elementary school teacher or a nurse you know or fashion design most schools have like they're trying to bring in but colleges want what they don't have now yes. that doesn't mean they're looking for more bank robbers right you're <laughs> more <laughs> stalkers or more people are going to bully or whatever right but you know what I mean? With with good attributes, they want what they don't have. Well, hey. So a very common thing can be what we call an undersubscribed major. So when I was talking with the dean at Harvard, uh, he was like, Mark, there was a time that humanities majors, it, the, we used this term in admissions called hook. It was a hook. If you, if you were a man and you were interested in the humanities, that was a hook. Now it's a hook for women because everybody's going so STEM-based that you got to understand, look at the internal workings of a school. Let's say you've got six professors that teach philosophy or French or linguistics or whatever. If they don't get enough interest there, then they got to lay faculty off. So those are internal dynamics that can go on behind the scenes. And a school's looking for kids um, that are interested in areas where they don't get that many people interested in to keep those faculty employed. So that's what we call institutional priorities. And then on another huge one, and this one's growing more and more and more, demonstrated interest. Yep. And that is, uh, admission officers use a term called LTE. It's an acronym for likely to enroll. 
And I just did an interview on our podcast that will go live throughout the whole month of June with the vice president of enrollment at Babson. And we got into this. And we got into how with the new modern way of recruiting, which is so much more virtual, they can track all of that. And they can see who signed up and who isn't. And, and Courtney, you know, Menden, who's the VP of enrollment, she said, Mark, that frequently came up at committee. So and this kid wasn't engaged with us at all. Yeah. This kid was. Let so me, it's called dem- demonstrated interest. And, and then there's something else called demonstrated understanding, which is extremely important. And that is, does the kid get who we are? Do they understand us? Right. That's demonstrated understanding. Demonstrated interest is, do we legitimately have a shot at this kid? Because what are these schools trying to do? Bring in the most gifted and talented, diverse class, while simultaneously having their acceptance rates go down. So they don't like wasting acceptances on kids that have no intention of coming that are using them as a backup. But I've said a lot there. I'm sure you want, you probably have a follow-up for me. I have uh, several follow-ups, but first I want to first state the buckets that they look at besides just the number, because this is what I try to communicate to not only students and parents, because they're still hooked on. Yeah. Well, my kid has a four five, four six, or whatever. And, and I do talk about rigor. I talk yeah. about grades and I talk about essays and and we mm-hmm. can, and and you mentioned that big time uh but sure. I, you also talked about the for example what rank they were at certain schools because that's true i said there's some people i know that are going to different high schools in this local area so they have a higher chance of getting into that uc and they're like no that mm-hmm. can't be i'm like no it really is and you just confirmed that but there's two things that i want to touch on you sure. talked and about also one that I didn't mention yes. that I want to also include. So okay. Go ahead. So first, let's talk about the under the the, the under destructed majors. Are you familiar uh, with? I'm going to use a perfect example in, because a lot of people out here in California they love Cal Poly San, uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So you're familiar yeah, with yeah, Slow, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I have a lot of friends and peers, and and I've heard this directly. I started communicating this to my friends. Because of my contacts at Cal Poly, they're like, Michael, why would you go apply to business when the ratio is out of 30, 4.0s, 33s, only six people are going to get accepted, right? The ratio is a lot smaller. Or should you go into, for those that are listening, because I've had some guests on from this school, business agriculture, wine, wine agriculture, because- it's a major at Cal Poly, but the percentages are a lot higher to get into because less people are applying to. That's kind of what you're referring to, correct? Yeah, that, it is what I'm referring to, but here's where I differ a little bit from some college coaches out there. There are some that will take someone and say, okay, listen, um, you need to apply to an underdescribed major and we got to make it look like you're interested in that major to get you in. Got I don't it. believe in that. I believe in starting with who you are, 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 who you are, authentically are, and then presenting who you authentically are to schools that are in need of people like you. I don't believe in giving a facelift to a student. You know, it, it almost reminds me of the Rick Singer fake like you're a rower, <laughs> not a rower. I don't believe in it's that. Very popular it's out endless. here. Stuck I know that. I know that. <laughs> Know the, you know he's my neighbor, port. or his yeah, house is up for his house is up for sale right now. Every time I walk by it, I see the sign, 
And then my two guests last week, they're like, Michael Fonger, if you can get Rick Singer on, you'd be like a legend. I go, I don't even think he could talk about, he probably yeah. has like, those stipulations, but that'd be a no. great guest, right? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I intentionally mentioned him knowing, knowing where you're from and where your audience <laughs> is from. And so I, I knew everybody would be familiar with that, but, but that is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about target. And it's a big thing for UCs, by the way, because UCs do look at major and they look at college. And there are certain majors that are just extremely difficult to get in. It's not just UCs. The Big Ten schools right. admit and look at that. And most of the time, for most national universities, it's going to be tougher for engineering and business. Those are going to be difficult majors. Computer science tends to be difficult. Psychology. But the more popular, the more the more in demand the major is, the more difficult it is. Now, not all schools admit by majors, but if they admit by major or by college then they'll have different acceptance rates for different colleges within the university yes. or even different majors. And so that can be, that's, but that's an example of an institutional priority. It's going to be an institutional priority for them to attract people that they are not getting, you know, that many requests for the thing that I never mentioned before when I gave an overview of what everybody's looking for. So you can't just mention grades. Um, grade trends are extremely important to schools. Can you can and you touch on that because sure. I've ta talked sure. to people about that before and they're they're like, "Okay, so if my kid got like all straight A's freshman sophomore junior year and I have situations right now where I know kids that are not doing so well their senior year, I'm like, that's not a good they want people trending up, not trending down. It's touch on that." Yeah, so there's five great trends and th three are bad and two are good. So let's start with the, well, let's do the whole bad news and good news first. So the bad, the ones that would be bad, obviously consistently low grades, right? <laughs> let's use an extreme, DC, DC, everything low. Nobody wants that. Uh, so consistently low is, low is not good. The other one that's not good is downward trajectory. You are A, B in ninth, and now you're solid B in 10th, and now you're B, C in 11th, and then you're, you know, you're downward trend. That's not good. The other one that's not good is the, the proverbial roller coaster. We've all been on roller coasters, right? AC, AC, AC. That's not good. And the reason why none of those are good is because admissions is about risk and reward. And what I'm trying to do, and, you know, we never mentioned this before. I've I'm in my 22nd year. Half that time was in admissions. Half has been in placement. So I've done both. Uh, but you're trying to predict what you're going to get. What's this kid going to do on my campus? And so all three of those trends don't inspire confidence. The two that are good are consistently high, right? AA minus, mm -hmm. AA minus consistently, and then the upper trajectory. And so those are the two. And it's a very, very big uh, factor how you're finishing out. Now, you mentioned 12. There are some schools that don't look at 12th at all. Uh, they strictly make decisions all after 11th. Uh, now, when I say don't look at 12th at all, that, let me restate that. They'll admit without looking at 12th. You know, uh, right. most of are this. They don't have time to, they don't have time with 100,000 applications to look at your 12th grade grades. Occasionally, Berkeley asks for, for some 12th grade stuff. But they look at your curriculum. And then what they do is they look at your final grades. And if there's disparity between your final grades and your, and because you tanked in 12th, then uh, well, you know, I'll be very, very concrete. So one of my favorite guests I had on our podcast was Lisa Prescott, who's been the director of ed at UCSB forever. She's in year 36 there. Wow. And she, she also was a student there herself. So she said, Mark, we canceled 20 students last year. 
And cancel was, we admitted them because we, we saw their grades through 11th, we saw their curriculum at 12th, but when we got the final grades, uh, they were not what uh, we were expecting. Well, it was a combination of two things. You know what the UC is, how you self-report? So it was either a disparity between what people self-reported and what they actually saw, mm-hmm. or what they expected from the student in 12th based on what they saw in 10th and 11th, that's not what they got when the final grades got in. And so they ended up I use the term rescind. She is the term cancel. They're the same thing. I like, I like the cancels a little bit more hard. I like that harsh rescind cancel. I'm going to start using that. I'm like, you know, they're going to cancel your term. They're going to cancel you term right there. (laughs) We canceled, they canceled 20 kids, which may sound like a lot, but remember, you know, look at this. this, They're one of the schools getting a hundred thousand apps. So let me, let me ask you this because I want to touch on you, you, you. I used it a lot when uh, my daughter 19 who's at Washington and my daughter at Wisconsin uh, who's class of 20, the demonstrated interest. We started talking about that. Uh, I said, go log onto their Instagram, go log on to their website, um, apply for register for whatever you have. Um, and that is a thing in terms of demonstrated interest. Let me take it a step further. But I, but I do want to let you know, there's some schools like, like you say, doesn't do any of that stuff. Right. MIT doesn't do any of that stuff. Right. So, so there's schools that do it, and it's huge for them. And there's other schools that don't even go anywhere near it. So you can't sort of paint all schools with one stroke right. of the brush on that. And mm-hmm. it, it doesn't hurt, though. No. And and in general, that's why general they That's why they hire someone like you, because you'll, you'll know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's important. So let me that. ask you this question. Now, yes. you know me. Sure. Used to work at Paychex in sales. I'm using yeah. all my sales skill set because at the end of the day, it's it's like getting a job, right? Recruiting. Right. So what if a student, I, I tell students, especially during February, March of this year, they couldn't mm-hmm. go on campus. Uh, I said, why don't you reach out to the director of admissions? You were admissions yourself. So if you got, let me just hypothetically state, you got postcards on a frequent basis saying, hey, Mr. Stucker, I, I really want to go to this institution. I've, I've been wanting to go here since I was a little kid. Maybe they even send you pictures of them on the campus. They're kind of separating themselves from the competition. Maybe they leave a voicemail message. Maybe they email you. Does that have an impact? May, not to all schools, um, but it, to some. It depends on the school. Okay. Um, a lot of schools don't like that at all, especially the, what you described. You described you're basically reaching out and just saying, Hey, I'm over here. I'm really, really interested. They're so busy. They feel like you're, you're, you're wasting my time and you're, it's almost like you're stalking them. What What's better to do is to ask them really good questions via email. And I'll give you a little tip. If you go on to, if you do a search for an individual school and you search, whatever name the school, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, Pomona college, meet the staff, whatever yes. you search. You look up, meet the staff, and you. a lot of times what you'll see is a list of all the admission counselors, sometimes their phone number, sometimes their email, sometimes their picture, oftentimes their territory that they serve. Okay, That person, we call them the territory manager or the regional admission officer, they're going to have the biggest weight in who is admitted from their school because they're assigned to your school. They're designed to be an expert in your school. And here's a tip. If they include their email then they welcome applicants reaching out via email. 
If you can't find their email, that's intentional. They don't want you doing that. So that varies on a school by school basis. But when you do it, they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear like I'm extremely interested in your school. They want to hear, you know, really good questions that they. I, I can't. I've searched on the internet for this answer to what the culture is like in your freshman dorms, and I, I can't I get like a that. sense. Can you? I just made. I just made up a question. You know, yeah. There's zillions of them. Can you describe for me what I can expect? You know, that's what they like. Just have they an open-ended question. They don't want Be you me. sort of. Um, you come off like desperate Dan if you're if you're fawning all over. like how these selective schools have so much of that they have to avoid getting stalked you know they can keep you up and mission counselors keep you up with stories of getting stalked by applicants and okay. so so they like interaction if they reveal their information but they don't want it to be you telling them how much you're the greatest thing since sliced cheese uh sliced bread whatever just ask really good questions about things you can't get answers to and you don't do it that often. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like dating. Yeah. You know, if you're interested in dating someone, you want them to show a little interest in you, but don't but be if annoying. They smother you. If they smother you, that's a big turnoff. And that's the same thing here. So let me follow uh, that up. Let's say an institution university rejected you. And yeah. cause this happened to um, one of my friends, daughter yeah she really wanted to go to this institution they mm -hmm. flew this is pre-covid they flew out to that institution mm -hmm. she knocked on the director the admissions and said i got rejected give me five or ten minutes she walked out they let her in yeah that's extremely unusual i would not tell your people to do that ask any i mean i talk to admission directors all the time and i did this uh -huh. ask anybody that that they would say that is taboo and and this and this taboo for alumni is taboo for siblings so i know you know you're in sales mode here that's the kind of stuff that yeah that's a complete <laughs> outlier right that, i'm just being honest that's bad advice for most schools i'm just being honest ask got it any, any mission director that got it all right so i i know you have two daughters one yep. uh graduated Davidson graduated Georgia or someone's still there. C correct me if I'm wrong. Really close. So my oldest is 25. She graduated from Davidson College. She's got a, two businesses, a Spanish tutoring company, uh, SpanishHelpToday.com. She's fantastic. Does Zoom tutoring for Spanish. Anyone looking for Spanish tutoring, have to put a plug in for her because she's really there good. There you go. I like that. You got to do that for your daughter, <laughs> SpanishHelpToday.com. My youngest just graduated from Georgia, the University of Georgia. And literally, so she graduates May 14th. Uh, she starts a master's program May 19th at North Carolina State Ooh. in clinical mental health counseling. And people are like, what are you doing? Don't you believe in any work-life balance? Well, you know, you always have to hear the story. So uh, first two things. One, they pretty much said if you start in the summer, you can make this a two-year program. If you start in the fall, you'll make it a three-year program. Plus, when you go into grad school like that, there's only like 27 people in the whole cohort. So you want to come in with your cohort and be part of that whole bonding? Well, every, you know, overwhelmingly, they're starting in, in, in the summer because they want to do it two years. So that's what she's in right now. She's now she it's online in May and June and it goes in person in August. So, so I'm going to follow that up with sure. your alum at Michigan State. We visited Correct. East Lansing. 
University yeah. of Georgia, Athens is one of my favorite campuses. I talk yeah, about great. Davidson all the time because it's a smaller yeah. fit. So yeah, we have well. we, we have three different type of universities that you're very close to. Share with my audience and followers uh, some highlights like as a student, no, as a parent, what did you like about Georgia for your daughter? What did you like about mm -hmm. Davidson for your daughter? There's a lot of people going out to Athens, class of 25. 24, there was like, I think six or seven Newport Peach kids. Mm -hmm. I think class yeah. of 25, there might be almost just as many. It's becoming popular. Davidson, I'm it's still trying to cool. sell. I'm still trying to sell Davidson because of Steph Curry, right? And my yeah. uh, good friend was a point guard there before Steph Curry. And then yeah. one of our good friends, Asparty, I love Michigan State. So kind of talk yeah. to us on all three. Sure, sure. So the thing with Georgia, I mean, obviously Athens is one of the most incredible college towns, you know, a little more than 100,000. Every little thing you could want, every restaurant, it's all there. And it's just a college town. Like the college dominates it. And it's got incredible school spirit. You know, the football does bring that. It's got the huge rah-rah. Um, but it's got really bright kids. I mean, 760 valedictorians in the incoming class. Smart. Um, it's it's quite competitive. I've had kids get in get in Georgia that, I mean, get in Princeton and didn't get in Georgia, get in Stanford and didn't get in Georgia. Like I've had that. So it's very become quite competitive, quite selective, but it's a big school. So it's got every imaginable class that you could want, every imaginable club you could want. And, and that can be really appealing, you know, if you look in the course catalog and, you know, the choices and the breadth of the professors and the courses and it's becoming a much, much more of a national school, too. So so that's Georgia. Now, Davidson is that school where you are going to know your professors. You're going to know them well. You're going to have classes of 19, 15, 12. They're going to have you over. And so if you want to really be in that high caliber, high academic environment, but the sense of community is so real. You know, Davidson requires all students to stay on campus all four years. Anytime a school does mm. that, it creates a family feeling. Yes. Most of the students at Georgia are going to live in the dorms for one year, and then they've got incredible apartments and houses off campus, and that's what they're going to do. And you know, you're going to be in really nice digs, but it's it's, it's you're not going to be you're not going to be that residential vibe that that Davidson. Davidson also has an incredible honor code, and you know you you take exams on your own, you know, and you you just uh, swear to uphold your integrity and they take it very, very, very seriously. If people violate the honor code, they're, they're booted out. Uh, but there's a, there's a trust there. You treat it like an adult and there's a number of other things that come with that honor code that create this trusting real community vibe. It's also a beautiful college campus and you're 19 miles from Charlotte. So you're not in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it's quite, quite a national student body. Students come from all over, all over there. It's just, you know, it, your, your sports gets your name out there. So Georgia's, you know, they're competing for national championships all the time. So people know Georgia. They also went on the common application this year for the first time, made it a lot easier for, for people to apply. But two fantastic schools. Michigan State's going to be a lot more like Georgia. Campus, college campus, campus town, I mean, college town, everything revolves around big 40,000, every imaginable major. Lots of rah-rah, lots of school spirit. Just East Lansing's like, uh, this is a, a modest statement, a few degrees colder. It's And it's <laughs> very <place>. flat. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful lakes running through. I mean, both are gorgeous campuses. Um, 
it's sort of a northern version of a Georgia in a lot of ways. So if you're not quite as academically selective, Georgia's become more academic, although in certain majors, Michigan State is. No, I was going to tell you that. I mean, Georgia academically, people are like, oh, I'm going to apply Georgia. I'm like, you know how hard it is to get into Georgia these days. It's not like it's not like Auburn. It's not like Alabama. It's not like Ole Miss. You can get in SECs, I would say Vanderbilt. And then you're looking at Georgia (laughs) and Tennessee. Yeah, Vanderbilt is tough. SEC, Georgia's tough. Florida's pretty tough too. So um, not quite as tough as Georgia, but you know what happens with Georgia and Florida is they both have these programs in state that are incredible. As an in-state student, you pretty much can go tuition free, Georgia and Florida. And so, and then these are growing states. So, you know, they gobble up a lot of spots. Uh, yes. And that's what I try to communicate. I, Wisconsin has the same uh, uh, program for their in-state uh, students, right? Georgia is another one uh, that I hear. Correct. North Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina is another one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Georgia's got the Hope Scholarship and the Zell Miller. Florida has two levels of bright futures and Florida prepaid. And then North Carolina protects its in-state residents because 82% of the kids have to be from North Carolina that so, go there. And only 18% are out of state. So it makes it a tough, you know, it makes it a tough admit. And similar for Virginia and Texas, they both have these restrictions on out-of-state apps that make it tough. Uh, Mark, I mean, you've been a great guest. I mean, we can keep on going, but I do want to ask one more question before we wrap sure. up. Because especially out here, and you know this high-pressure area, I tell students and parents, it's okay if you want to go to a community college because we have such great community colleges out here. OCC, Golden West, Irvine Valley College, Santa Monica, Saddleback. Please inform and communicate why community college is not a bad route. Well, nobody, nobody... Nobody looks at where you start. They look at where you end up. And the nice thing about California, and this is true for the CSUs and the UCs, is they've created these incredible pathways. And so you go into the community college for a couple of years, you save a lot of money, and you do well, and your your chances of admission are much, much, much easier way to get into you know, the UCs than trying to get in straight out of college, straight out of high school. Yep. Uh, it's not for everybody because a lot of people want that residential experience right away. But at the end of the day, you know, where you, you, you know, you graduate from UCSD or whatever, UCD, UCI, I mean, that's all that matters. And they've got what happens in a lot of states is they don't have these pathways. And so you end up not having a lot of your credits transferred and everything. But Cal- state of California has created such a seamless connection between their community colleges and both the CSU and the UC system. That you, I mean, it costs next to nothing to go there. So, you, you know, you're getting basically your first couple of years close to free. And then you're, and a lot of times you're in smaller environments as well, depending on the school. Now, look, they're not for everybody. I'm not going to say they're for everybody, but they're just an alternative that Absolutely. should be explored by a lot more people. And nobody really cares at the end of the day where you started. They only care where you finish up. That's in life, period. It's not how you start, mm-hmm. it's how you finish. And we are finishing up this there podcast, episode 70 of Mark Stucker with uh, School Match for You, uh, owner of, and podcast, Your College Bound Kid. Now for the most important part, because you are the uh, 
I'm letting you be the sponsor of this episode. How can parents that you've given so much information and they're just now drooling and wanting more, they want to maybe hire you. I have Joshua's all friends that are looking for counselors. How do they get in touch with you? What are some of the packages? Because I think you are very open with your pricing. Yeah. Talk to me. Sure. This is your time to pitch yourself. Yeah. So I know this sounds weird, but I like people to text me. And I, I do. 404-664-4340. 404-664-4340. And I'll, I'll tell you why I like that. Um, when people just call me, I get so many solicitation calls. Just so many. Like mine. So chances, <laughs> chances are I'm not going to answer because you just get so many. And then even if I do answer it, chances are I'm about to go into a meeting 10 minutes from now. So I'm not going to be able to really talk to you right. the, way I, the way you deserve. So text me. I heard the podcast. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm interested. I, I do a 30 to 45 minute complimentary consultation with everyone who's serious about working with me. Now, I ask a few things. I ask you to go to my website which is schoolmatchforyou.com, and that's school, S-C-H-O-O-L, match, M-A-T-C-H. Then it's number four, letter U. So number four, letter U.com. And all, all my packages are there. I have gold plan, a silver plan, a bronze plan, and then single sessions. I ask people to review my website um, just as a little bit, so you put a little bit of time in. You know, I, before I said that, you know, people used to just schedule just to literally just pick my brain. Okay, I can't give free sessions just to pick my brain. It should be for people who are considering hiring me. And then, you know, we'll talk about your child. We'll answer a few questions, and then we'll talk about my, my packages. So I ask them to review my website, but just text me, and then I'll, I'll text back. I'll send you um, I directly to my online calendar, and then you pick a time on, your on, on my online calendar that works for you. And then we'll do a session. I prefer Zoom. I like for the – if it's a married couple, I like for the mom, dad, and kid to be there because I want buy-in from everybody. I don't want to answer all the questions. And then the person says, well, let me talk to my husband or this right. is great. Can you talk to my kid? Cause I want to make sure they're comfortable. So I ask that everybody be there at the, you know, and, and no questions off limits and I'll give you an honest answer. So that's what I recommend. Text, review my website, schedule a session. I, I ask people to schedule 30 minute sessions, but I'll be honest. I, I oftentimes, you know, go 45 minutes if they're real serious. And, and so you can book for 30, but block 45 minutes out of your calendar. Mark and Stucker. As as my prices, I try to keep my prices really, really reasonable because one thing that's really important to me is I want to work with people of all social classes. And, you know, someone said a long time ago, you know, you can hit singles and do well all day. And so I have plenty of clients all around the country, um, but I keep my prices really, really affordable. And I think everyone will see, I, I, I you know, should I just leave it at that, or do you want me to share what they are to your call? Well, I, mean, I will. I'm going to tee it up with this way. Sure. For, for my followers and listeners, I know what prices are in this market. Trust me when I say Mark Stucker is experienced and knowledgeable, and you're getting way more than you pay for. I like Stucker. I'm telling you, Joshua might be one of his clients soon. You could reach out to him at 404. 664-4340. Text him. He texts me back. Yeah, and if you want to know what my prices are, I put them all on my website. Most people don't do that because they want to talk to you. And then once you get impressed, you'll you'll hire them. But I do things the way I like it. I don't like when people hide their prices from me. Right. So I want full disclosure. You can go on and see my prices for yourself. I, I love that. 
Well, Mark, you know, I'm now building the relationship with you and we're going to probably do this, run it back again, but uh, we're up at the bottom of the hour. You'll probably have a counseling appointment right now. I appreciate I it very do. much. <laughs> Pennsylvania family. Episode 70, Pennsylvania family, signing out from the ATL, Mark Stucker. Thank you very much, bro. Talk to you soon. All right. My pleasure. This was fun. Fonger News, out.